If you listen to the way I tell this story, you'll notice something different. And I ain't talking about my fake American accent. Now, I don't mean to be enigmatic, but if you want to know why my speech is idiosyncratic, then like the toilet seat with superglue I sat on, my friend, you're going to have to stick with me to the end. The Rhyming Detective. Episode 1. Rhyme doesn't pay. The name's Dick Dick. Dick Dick Digger. Private Eye. I'm a straightforward kind of guy. The kind of guy who'd call a spade a long-handled digging tool with a sharp-edged metal blade. Now, the tale I'm about to relate, as I care to remember, started one cold morning, sometime last September. I was in my office that morning, in Chandler House, Croydon, Surrey. It smelled of a takeaway I'd ordered a week earlier. <laughs> I think it was a curry. I heard a knock, opened my eyes, and there on the floor, I saw a pair of classy red high-heeled shoes walk through the door. Most people look at faces first, but if you're looking for truths, the face is the tool of deceit. So I start with the shoes. Took me a while to get to the face. The body was kind of cute. I couldn't stop my eyes taking the scenic route. When I finally got there, the beard looked out of place. <laughs> Maybe that's why most people start from the face. <laughs> a matching Gucci handbag and watch told me this bearded honey had easy access to a whole lot of money. And that was one exquisite perfume making itself at home in my office and my snout. She was the sort of person who called a digger a spade, as I was about to find out. Are you Dick Dick Spade? The name's Digger. Dick Dick Digger. It says spade on the door. That was the name of the previous owner of this joint. Why don't you get it changed? It was cheaper to change my name than get a new sign. So you changed your name from Dick Dick Digger to Dick Dick Spade? No, I changed my name to Dick Dick Digger. Why didn't you change it to Dick Dick Spade? Because there's already a private detective registered with that name. But you are a private detective, right? That's what it says on the door. It says Dick Dick Spade on the door. What happened to Dick Dick Spade? I don't know. Why don't you know? I don't like to ask questions. <laughs> Isn't that a problem in your line of work? I don't know. I never asked. <laughs> well, Dick Dick, I'm Queenie, and I have a problem. The sort of problem one employs a private detective for. Here's the thing. I can't see it. See what? The thing. What thing? You said, here's the thing. I don't see the thing. I haven't got a thing. I was about to explain what the thing was. If the thing's not here, why did you say it was here? Are you trying out some interview tricks? Or do you happen to have a thing about semantics? I don't have anything. You're the one with all the money. Oh, I wish that were true, honey. It's my husband that has all the money. You're married? Yes. I'm aware that people find it weird that I'm a married woman and have a beard. <laughs> I know that it's not what most men crave 
when they see my chin needs a shave. I thought no man would want my heart to own, and I'd spend my life unloved and alone. And that's why I became one of a number of human anomalies working as an attraction at the circus of human oddities, a collection of freaks. But we all got on without a hitch. Oh, except Sandy, half woman, half dog. <laughs> she wasn't half a bitch. <laughs> Although I suppose I should give her some slack. When Steve the stick man left the circus, it was Sandy that brought him back. We were playing in Copacabana when Joe first saw me. He came backstage afterwards and declared his love for me. He asked me to run away from the circus so we could elope. I turned him away out of disbelief. It was more than I could hope. But wherever we went to perform our freakish acts, he would appear with gifts of chocolates, flowers, or scented moustache wax. <laughs> Persistently, he would ask me to quit my job and leave, but I would always decline his love I couldn't believe. Then, one day, all that would change when the circus was forced to close, and all because the elephant man had to blow his nose. <laughs> the sudden noise this created was incredibly loud. It's no wonder the rubber man jumped, which caused him to bounce about. <laughs> and into the conjoined twins he'd bumped. The twins had tried to get out of the way, but failed in their flight. One had tried running to the left, and the other to the right. So all three collided and fell onto the fire eater, practicing his act, and his flaming torch went flying due to the impact. It headed in the direction of Gus, the human cannonball, and towards his supply of gunpowder was where it would fall. But, at the last second, Gus lunged out and gave the burning stick a whack. And that would have saved us if Sandy the bitch hadn't fetched it back. <laughs> the explosion started a fire, and fortunately we all emerged safe and sound. But our valued asset, the big top, was burnt down to the ground. Turned out, our insurance didn't cover the cost of the big tent. They said we were not covered for a freak accident. <laughs> Homeless and out of a job, what else could a bearded girl do but take a chance on the only man who'd said, I love you? The wedding went smoothly, except for the vicar who struggled as he tried to determine which of us was the groom and which was the bride. And since then, I've been happy with not a worry or financial care. Until recently, he started behaving oddly, and I wondered if he was having an orange. An orange? I meant an affair. Why did you say orange? Sorry. When I get stressed, I start speaking in rhyme. It's something I've been getting treatment for, but I discovered I can break it by ending a sentence with the word orange. You see, there's no word in the English language that rhymes with orange. Well, actually, there's sporange. It's a botanical term for a part of a fern. Well, I guess that technique won't work anymore. What sort of detective are you, anyway? Shouldn't you be taking notes? I'll get a pen and paper. I didn't have any paper. She'd cut me on the harp. So I got an advance offer and tried the corner sharp. 
they didn't have any to sell, but then a vet's surgery doesn't sell that. And you don't want to know what a vet calls a spade, especially if you're a cat. <laughs> so I caught the bus to the shopping center and got myself a coffee, bought a notepad, had some lunch, went home and watched TV. I went to bed and woke the next morning, feeling there was something I'd forgotten. I remembered, got dressed, dashed back to the shops and bought a ballpoint pen. <laughs> when I returned to the office, I was surprised to find Queenie wasn't there. After an hour investigating her disappearance, I discovered a yellow post-it note stuck on my chair. 3 p.m. King Mansion, it said. That was the big place out in the country. It was owned by the eccentric and very wealthy King family. Their patent for a popular smoke conduit had proved quite a financial boon. If you've ever bought a boiler or a generator, then you've contributed to the fluking fortune. <laughs> the current family heir, his name, you probably know it. It's the writer Joseph King, the best-selling punk poet. I considered driving to King Mansion, but that seemed too much fuss. While well, we're taking lessons, passing a test, and buying a car. <laughs> so instead, I took the bus. You're late. It's a long drive. I can't see your car. Exactly. I had to walk up your long drive. That's why I'm late. <laughs> I was expecting you yesterday. Oh, it doesn't matter. I have a more important problem. There's a dead rose in the garden. Don't you have a gardener? Rose is our maid. I see. I'd better get my notepad out. Have the police been informed? I was just about to call them when the doorbell rang. Interesting. Who was at the door? Um, you were. Excuse me, I should call the police. Listen, Queenie, and listen good. It'll take the police a good while to get here, whilst I'm a detective and already at the crime scene. Prompt action now could save weeks of police work. Very well. Would you like to see the body? I'd rather have a cup of tea first. <laughs> I would get the maid to make you one, but she's been murdered. No tea. Very well. When a murder has occurred in the estate of a big country house, I think I should first speak to the butler. He's not here. It's the butler's day off. This case is going to be tougher than I thought. <laughs> Who's in the house? Just me and Mr. King. What was Mr. King doing at the time of the murder? I believe he was, and still is, in his office doing the accounts. Noted. You haven't told him of the murder yet? No, it's only just happened. Noted. So you haven't called the police and you haven't told Mr. King. What have you been doing? I've been answering the door. Does it always take you so long to answer the door? What? Aha! Uh -huh. It looks like someone was drinking tea right here in the parlor and they take honey in it. Do you know anyone who takes honey in their tea? Yes, me. That's my tea. I was drinking it when I heard Rose call 999. She was trying to call the police? She's German. Do you know what 999 means in German? Ah, yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. 999 is no, no, no. Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying 999 was yes, yes, yes. You know what 9 means in German? No. Well, I'll tell you. It means no. <laughs> 
I know. You know 999 means no, no, no? Yes, I do know 999 is no, no, no. And I knew 999 was no, no, no before you even said 999 was no, no, no. Sorry, I didn't get all that down. Could you repeat that? <laughs> no. No? No. Oh. No. Ted, what happened next? Well, I heard a gun go off. Without thinking, I rushed to see what the noise was about. I found her body lying on top of a wheelbarrow full of garlic. Dead, without a doubt. Garlic? Yes. She was going to hang the garlic in the shed. You should store garlic in a cool, dark place, or so I've read. Ah, oh, damn it. This conversation has triggered my rhyming oration. Now I need my technique to stop my poetic narration. Previously, to do this, I would use the keyword orange, but... Thanks to your information about the part of a fern called a sporange, I've had to find a new non-rhyming word, and that word is silver. But that rhymes with the term for a female lamb, a chilver. Why, thank you, Mr. Digger. That's not something I'd heard. Would there be anything else? For I urgently need to go find a new key word. I'd like to question Mr. King before I take a look at the scene of the murder. Very well. I'll take you to him if that's what you'd prefer but in order to converse with him in the form of his preference, I would strongly recommend you borrow this handy book for reference. Queenie explained why I needed the book on the way to the door of Mr. King's room up on the mansion's top floor. We passed an extension to the house, a huge library containing thousands of books, but only had four stories, apparently. All his books looked brand new, so neat and so tidy. I had to wonder what that said about his psyche. I gotta admit, I'm not a great reader myself. Mr. King wouldn't be impressed by the literature on my bookshelf. I tend to prefer magazines that contain as much prose as the women in the pictures have clothes. <laughs> now, I hadn't had anything since breakfast, not even a cup of tea. Get me something to eat, my stomach was telling me. So as we passed a well-stocked fruit bowl, I pocketed a piece away. But as things were to turn out, it never made it as one of my five a day. Please come in and say hello. Hello, Mr. King, or may I call you Joe? My friends call me Joseph, for here is the thing. People don't take me seriously if they think I'm Joe King. <laughs> We're barely acquainted. We've only just met, hence Mr. King would be more correct. So I shall ignore that etiquette booby and ask the question, who may you be? Friends call me Dick Dick, but if first names are taboo, don't call me Dick Dick, it's Mr. Digger to you. Well, Mr. Digger, I'm glad you're acquainted with my conversational manner. I assume you were briefed by my bearded wife from Coca-Cabana. Mr. King, I gotta tell you, this may come as a shock. Your maid in the garden was killed by a shot. Oh, it's sad news indeed, but a shock. Oh no, for I saw the whole thing out of this window. A woman jumped down from the wall, pulled out a gun. She shot our maid Rose in a vital organ. She fired more shots till she used up her ammo, then ran off leaving Rose on the garlic in the barrow. As she lay there bleeding, I felt quite sick. I can't see us using any of that garlic. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. It's very sad Rose's life was took. 
She wasn't just a maid to us, she was also the cook. <laughs> You're probably wondering why, after seeing the crime, I didn't react. Reason being, I saw Queenie arrive. She's better at handling all that. So tell me, Mr. Digger, have I answered your query? Oh, excuse me. I need to look up a rhyme in... Ah, this rhyming dictionary. The book itself provided the rhyme I needed. Isn't that funny? Um, there's a name for that, I think. It's called irony. <laughs> Mr. King, could you provide a description of who killed her and also, if possible, a motive for the killer? Oh, some coloured girl from that awful council estate nearby. It's full of benefits grounding thugs. And as for a motive for the crime, she was probably off her head on drugs. Well, thank you, Mr. King. I'll ask more questions later. All this rhyming is tiring. Um, I'll see you later, alligator. <laughs> Good luck, Mr. Digger, on the hunt for that evil junkie. As you say, it's not goodbye. Instead, it's arrivederci. So I left Mr. King and decided it was time I went and inspected the scene of the crime. I soon concluded Mr. King's story was a pretense, for like a bankrupt perfume factory, it didn't make sense. <laughs> when I returned to the house, there by the door was the body of Queenie, lying on the floor. Another dead body, but I was too thirsty to think. There was a fresh pot of tea and I needed a drink, but I didn't take a sip for the unusual aroma I identified. It was either almond tea or it was laced with cyanide. Then in the hand of the dead body, I found another clue. And I knew then just what I had to do. Ah, Mr. Digger, you have returned. I'm eager to hear of what you have learned. Good evening, sir. I've been making some deductions. And I think you, Mr. King, need to supply explanations. You said the woman dropped from the wall, pulled out a gun. You claim she shot Rose in a vital organ. But I've looked at the ground near the wall and since there's a remarkable lack of any footprints, it casts doubt on your story, I'm afraid, Mr. King, and that's not all. Here's another thing. Rose was heading towards the wall, facing the wrong way. To get shot in the back, that's one hell of a ricochet. <laughs> now to add to our troubles, your partner Queenie is dead. She held a page torn from your punk poetry book, and this is what it said. Mr. King was in his country house, counting out his money. Queenie was in the parlor, drinking poison tea and honey. The maid was in the garden, hanging up the clothes, when down came a blackbird and snuffed out poor Rose. As if I didn't have sufficient proof you're involved in this crime, you've premeditated this murder scene with a warped nursery rhyme. I warn you, Mr. Digger, if it's me you're accusing, with my expensive lawyers, it'll take some proving. Well, all the suspect's dead. The judge won't take much convincing. It's a simple process of elimination, and you've been doing the eliminating. Ah, Mr. Digger, you've done your homework. I underestimated you. I thought you were Burke. I realize now the fool is but a disguise. There's a sharp intellect before my eyes. Yeah, nice of you to say that. But don't forget, sometimes what you see is just what you get. 
He acted fast and I was too slow. In seconds he'd opened and was out the window. His praise was a diversion and caught me unaware. Just goes to show, flattery can get you somewhere. <laughs> Sounds to me, Mr. Digger, like I'm a wanted man. So I bid you farewell. Catch me if you can. I hadn't expected his escape route, thinking there'd be quite a fall. But the fall didn't stop him, for there was no fall at all. Being high up, I hadn't given him much attention. But just out that window was the roof of the library extension. <laughs> By the time I'd followed him, further up he had fled. He climbed up a drainpipe, stood on the main roof overhead. I wasn't too bothered. I figured he couldn't get very far. Whilst defiantly he stood to make his last stanza. I didn't kill anyone, Mr. Digger. But I'll give you a clue. The person who did do it is standing right behind you. He never finished that rhyme, but I think he'd agree. It's kind of fitting this poetic tale became his elegy. The shots got him in the chest. His shirt was quite bloody. He fell from up on high onto the roof of the library. He hit it hard. It was quite an impact. Made a hole in front of me, as a matter of fact. Through the hole, I could see his body on the library floor. I turned round to see the murderer. And who do you think I saw? Hello, sweetie. Pleased to see me? Now take your piece out of your pocket, nice and slowly, then drop it. I sure was surprised, a gun pointing at my head, held by someone I thought to be dead. For situations like this, I have a gun in my coat pocket, a Smithson P-45, fully automatic. At ten shots a second from a lean magazine, holding a hundred bullets, it's a mean machine. As Queenie held my life in her hands, I made a mental note. Whenever I left the office, I should take my coat. <laughs> I could have jumped off the roof, but that plan had a flaw. From the height we were at, I counted about four. <laughs> The bulge in my pocket wasn't a gun, and neither was I pleased to see her. She was mistaken. In my trouser pocket, only a piece of fruit could be found. I took it out slowly and dropped it to the ground. Queenie, you're looking well, it has to be said. For someone who not long ago appeared to be dead. If you were more a detective and less a bungler, you might have noticed that dead body was our butler. You put him in your dress. A neat disguise. It's handy having a butler who takes the same dress size. <laughs> you have an interesting approach to staffing relations. I guess it saves on paying out on pensions. Rose tried to blackmail me over my affairs. Turned out the butler knew too. They talked downstairs. I could have paid them off, but to be blunt, this was a preferable way to terminate their employment. I needed someone to take the blame. That's why I left you that note, to get you to come to King Mansion and be my scapegoat. My story will be, I saw you do all the killing, and hence, I was then forced to kill you in self-defense. Tell me something else before I breathe my last breath. Something I can't figure out. Why'd you fake your own death? I faked my death to avoid being a suspect, but then I realized my plan was far from perfect. The police would surely find it kind of funny if a dead person inherited all the king's money. 
I know that seems a fundamental error. You have to forgive me. I've not done this before. And now that I have told you why, I think it's time that you should die. Wait, you can't kill me yet. There's one more odd thing. Why is it, now that Mr. King's dead, our words are still rhyming? Good point. The thing is, Mr. Digger, we've contracted the King family curse. The doctor claims it's a virus which makes one addicted to verse. It will make you psychopathic if you try to resist the poetic whim. At least, that's what my doctor told me just before I shot him. <laughs> now, you must die and so finish our nice little chat. I suspect you've been keeping me talking in order to avoid that. Your suspicions are quite unfounded. Of death I have no fear. Don't you think the weather's nice for this time of year? <laughs> nice try, Mr. Digger. But it's time for the big goodbye. You know too much too. And so now, you too must die. Hey, I have a terrible memory. Don't waste a shot. This time tomorrow, this whole thing will be forgot. As a finger tightened on the trigger, I racked my brain for some life-saving trick. Turned out I didn't need one. The gun went... Click. She'd been shooting so much, looked like this psycho had gone and used up all her live ammo. She rushed towards me. I was stood near the ledge. Her intent was obvious, to push me over the edge. I would surely have died had not that bearded lady from Copacabana gone and placed her foot right on my banana. <laughs> she slipped and fell through the hole to the library. Her fall was broken by Joe King's dead body. Still alive, she looked up, but a smile turned to a frown, and the next thing I saw, a bookcase fell down. She was crushed underneath, leaving me to peruse the only things left of her, those classy red high-heeled shoes. As I looked through that hole at the bookcase under which the rest of her body laid, I was left with the thought, guess I'm not getting paid. <laughs> Turns out, for a book to be a bestseller, it's not how many people bought a copy to hold. What it actually comes down to is the number of copies that were sold. And in that huge library, every book on every bookshelf held Mr. King's bestseller. He'd bought every copy himself. <laughs> Some writers may think that method's a cheat, but one thing's for sure, makes your bookshelves look neat. <laughs> All those books cost a King's fortune. His bank account was cleared out. Even if Queenie's mad plan had worked, she would have inherited an out. She was crushed by those poetry books. Maybe she got what she was due. Or to put it another way, that's poetic justice for you. <laughs> so my story ends, leaving me verbally defective. Now you know why they call me the rhyming detective. to the rhyming detective. It was supposed to be funny, but humor's subjective. Dick Dick Digger was played by Simon Paul Miller. Anna Childers played Queenie, the serial killer. Jonathan Childers played the punk poet, Joe King. And Simon Paul Miller, who wrote the whole thing. Sound effects were sourced in free SFX from Hogwarts Hell. Sound engineer Nick Wilmot made sure the recording went okay. Thanks to Tom Adams for the excellent podcast cover. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to another. The Rhyming Detective is recorded in 2011 and 
People who suffer from a rhyming affliction can find trying to cope with the problem very rough. If you are a sufferer, you should call a rhyming addiction helpline. But there isn't one, so tough! Hello, I'm Simon Miller, and I hope you enjoyed listening to The Rhyming Detective. I'd like to use this opportunity, if I may, to bring your attention to a cause very close to my heart. Every year, hundreds of podcasts fail to reach their potential audience because that audience doesn't know about them. You can help. A five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher will bring a smile to a podcast broadcaster desperate for attention. A like on the Rhyming Detective Facebook page will warm his little ego. Spreading the word about this podcast by telling family and friends about it could increase his download figures by just enough to cause him to dance around his swivel chair and give him some desperately needed exercise. So please do at least one of these things to help make a sad podcast producer very happy. You can find links to the things I've mentioned on the Rhyming Detective webpage, www.rhymingdetective.co.uk. And if you didn't enjoy this episode of The Rhyming Detective, there's Twitter.